Take your Bibles and uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Can you hear me? Yeah. Turn up a little bit. How's that? There you go. All right. Well, it's awesome to be here this morning. Um, it's good to see the church full, isn't it? Amen. Um, we pray that God will continue to do that. We're privileged standing and I to have Aaron and Kendall back with us for this week. We'd like to keep them down here so if you can sanitize their in a church called Journey Church up in North Carolina. And uh, Kendall's working. And our grandson. <laughs> Peter gets to hear me preach for the first time. He's here, but he's not here. <laughs> so well, we're privileged. Aaron and Kendall are expecting their first. His name is going to be Peter Stephen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you know them, a lot of you are new, maybe not know who they are, but a lot of you do. Sure, you give them a hug. We love them dearly. All right. So, what we're going to talk about this morning, we've been talking about holiness. If you're visiting, this is the third message as we've worked our way through. We were in Isaiah as we started out. Uh, we went to 1 Peter last week. We're going to stay in 1 Peter this week. We're going to be in 1 Peter next week. It seems as you dig, and maybe it's just me, I don't know, but as you dig, it's hard to just glance over things and just sort of move through it just for the sake of getting through in so many weeks. Uh, so we're going to stay in this uh, for a little bit yet. Uh, but we started out defining it just for review and for those that are visiting what holiness means. That's a word that we throw out there. We're to be holy. It says there we're called to be holy in 1 Peter as we're going to look at here and have looked at. But the definition is this. To be holy is to be distinct and separate and in a class by oneself. Another definition or biblical definition of it is to be holy is to be morally pure. And then as it pertains to God, because we always say God is holy, right? Well, we've got to understand that holy is not one attribute. Holiness applies because it's a, it's a separation to every characteristic of God. So when it comes to God being holy, holiness is the central attribute that relates to every other attribute that God has. His righteousness is holy. Why? Because it's so far set above ours. Obviously, it's perfection. His purity is holy. Why? Because it's set apart. His power, his omnipotence is holy. Why? Because it's set apart. And we, we looked at Isaiah, and I'm not going to read the scripture go back there, but just to keep the points in mind, because we looked at Isaiah as he was given the privilege back in Isaiah chapter 6 as the throne room of God was opened up, and God let him peer in, Isaiah was going to have a hard task, was he not? Isaiah was one of those prophets. That's a job you didn't want at that particular time. Why? Because Israel was messed up. And they didn't want to hear what was going to be said. And God was pronouncing judgment. So at the beginning, what does God do? He gives him a glimpse, gl glimpse, a glimpse of his greatness. Number one, to get him straightened out, but also to reassure him that I'm here. And in that vision, we see these simple things just to keep us in line with what we're talking about. In those first couple of verses, we saw that, that, that the, the position of God, that he is the sovereign one. In those passages, the Lord was the word Adonai, which means so sovereign one. In other words, when it comes to God being set apart, there is no other. The sovereign one, the one that is above all others. We saw that he was sitting on the throne signifying that he is in control of all things. We also saw that he is high and lifted up signifying that his throne is above all thrones and that the train of his robe, where it says the train of his robe filled the temple. Again, the picture of the victorious king of that time that would go through the battlefield and rip off a piece of the, 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 the losing king's robe. And would sew it on his robe. And the longer that train was, the more victorious that king was. Well, when God shows you the train of his robe, he is victorious over all things. Amen? Amen. Everybody got me? Okay. All right. So when he peers in, 
He sees these things. That's talking about God being holy. We saw in the, in the posture of the seraphim, the angels that flew, they had six wings. Two of their wings that covered their eyes. Why? Because they couldn't look at God because he was so much greater even than the angels. With two of the wings, they, they covered their feet. And we looked at the fact that that was a reference to their, their createdness or their creatureliness. And, and then it's a reference that they were humble. And then with two wings, they flew, talking about their service. And their message or the proclamation that these angels repeated over and over since the creation of the world. Can you imagine being able to be a being that was created by God to worship God? And the only thing you've done from the beginning of the time that you were created until, well, that you don't cease to exist as, as, a, as us or the angels. The only thing your job is to say is, holy, holy. Holy, and your heart's never wrong, out of place. Just think about that for a second. And we saw that the response of the prophet was simply this. Woe is me, for I'm undone. And the question that we looked at, or the statement that we looked at, was this. When we are confronted with the holiness of God, the, the separateness, the, the greatness of who he is, Isaiah's response and our response should be simply this. It reveals how bad we really are and how sinful we really are. And we looked at the fact that that is important for us to understand because when you come to this passage in 1 Peter and you're open there, we're going to read it. Peter calls us to be holy and the reason is why? God's holy. He calls us to be separate because God is separate. And I'm going to read uh, the first 16 verses here and we'll get started. Uh, bear with me. I am preaching out of a new Bible today. Not a new Bible, but a different Bible. Um, and it's also the New American Standard Translation. I did it for a reason. Because the words in this translation uh, define things a little better than the New King James that we usually preach out of. So bear with me, because I'm not exactly totally familiar. My Bible, when I open up, I know where things are in the pages, because I've had it since I was a teenager, or since I was young. But this one is sort of new, so it's hard. All right, so here we go. You ready? First Peter chapter 1. Let's read the first 16 verses. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Bithynia, who are chosen, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. Who are protected by the power of God through faith. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's talking about your glorification when you finally get there. In this you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. <clears throat> but the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you will greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted that suffer, the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, 
but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels will not long to look therefore gird your minds for action keep sober in spirit fix your hope completely on the grace that be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance but like the holy one who called you be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written you shall be holy for I am holy let's pray Father we thank you for your word and Lord I pray that um, as you promised, it would not return void. We could walk out of this room right now, finished, close the prayer, and your word will have touched our hearts in some way. Because your spirit and your word are that powerful. But Father, I pray that you would guide what we talk about from here on out. And just help us to um, get a glimpse of your greatness. And how we, as representatives of your glory, and as representatives of the gospel may live our lives in a way that that representation is done well. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Called to be holy. And we looked last week just quickly that positionally we are called out Iglesia. <laughs> Where that word came from? Like Julio Iglesia? I don't know. Anyway. Ecclesia means what? It's the them, it's a word for the church, but it means what? Called out ones. Positionally, we are called out as 100% righteous and set apart on eternal life, unto eternal life. Meaning that if we got saved, we were <coughs> born again, and when God looks at us, he sees the heart. And what does he see? He sees his son, Jesus Christ, and his righteousness. So positionally, we are called out 100% righteous, set apart in life. In verses 1 and 2, those promises are that we're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Verse 2, uh, we're sanctified by the work of the Spirit. Verse 3, we are, we are, or we are, we are saved according to His great mercy <coughs> that has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Verse 4, where we will we'll obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and it won't fade away and it is reserved for us in heaven. Verse 5, protected by the power of God. And, and, and Peter is telling them that their salvation is dependent on who? On God. All of those statements talk about the fact that God is the one who's keeping them saved, right? Positionally. They are 100% righteous. And then he goes into verse 6, and he says what? In this greatly rejoice. Listen, and we talked about this last week. If you are struggling with something that has to do with living in this world where we don't belong, where you're tried and maybe made fun of, where you're beat up, if you're in a home where you're the only one saved and there's constant turmoil because of your salvation, listen, Peter says, think about those things that we just said. And he says, rejoice. In those things, rejoice. But we are practically, positionally we're 100% righteous. Practically we're called out to live a pattern of life that is separate, holy, called out from the world that we're called out from. And that's what we're ta we talked about last week. And we talked about the reason is, in verse 13 through 16, we just read it. Uh, the reason is we're because God's holy, we're to be holy. First Thessalonians says this, uh, this is the will of God, which is, anybody know the rest of the verse? This is the will of God. No? There you go. Your sanctification. What is God's will for your life? Any of you struggle with what God's will is, is for your life? I hear that. Used to be you hear that all the time. What does God want me to do? I don't know if he wants me to go overseas. I don't know if he wants me to do this. I don't know if he wants me to go to this church or that church or whatever. The Bible says this. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. What does that mean? It's the process of taking the outside you 
and growing to match the reborn spirit inside. And you do that by not conforming to the world, transforming your mind, renewing it, and sooner or later, when you start to think like God, the outside, which or the mind, which is responding to the desires of the heart, the outside eventually is separate. Is separate. So we're to be holy because God is holy. The therefore there, again, based on the truths that were in those verses before, that they are begotten to a, again to a living hope through faith in Jesus Christ, that they have an inheritance that is reserved in heaven, that inheritance is incorruptible, that inheritance is undefiled, that inheritance will not go away. It's not like a reservation you make in a hotel and you show up and all of a sudden somebody took your room. It is there for, forever, and it is kept by God's power. The gird up your mind. Uh, for action is a picture again of that tunic and I'm going to because we need this all to keep in mind as we go It's a picture of that tunic being tucked up like that that person of that time period So that they could move about without tripping or stumbling remember the the dresses that they wore not, They weren't dresses, but the tunics that they wore it says gird up your mind for action And, and it, it simply means this to pull up the loose ends of your mind And so that you can think clearly so that you're not a double-minded person a disciplined mind means a disciplined body, and we're to reject the lies of the world and focus on the truth of who we are and what God has done and will do. We're to be sober in spirit. We're to be clear-headed, not allowing anything to cloud our thinking, meaning we're to be focused and intentional. We're not to be intoxicated with the lures and the lies and the things of this world. We're to fix our hope fully because of the great grace we have been shown in salvation. We should live without hesitation for the one who our hope is in. And as we talked about in James a few weeks ago, be living with the anticipation that Jesus is going to come back in any minute. Minute. Grace that is brought to you. That's future grace. This is grace that will be given at, at your glorification when you get to the doorstep of heaven. Then he says, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Living for Jesus is a choice. Be thankful you have that choice. When you go outside the doors and, and you run into people who act really stupid, feel sorry for them. Because they're lost. They don't have the Spirit of God in them. They don't have the Word of God being filtered through them. And they're acting like who they are on the inside. You want to see why the world is messed up? Listen, living for Jesus is a choice. You have a choice. Remember we talked about this. Liberty is not my ability to go do something that the world doesn't feel free from my conscience. And you can say that. That's not really what it is. We have liberty because we have the Holy Spirit in our life, and the Holy Spirit gives us the choice. We have liberty to choose where we didn't have liberty to choose before. When we were lost, we acted like we were lost. We did what a lost person does. When we get saved, we have liberty to choose between the two. That's that choice. That's that choice. Peter says, don't live like you used to when you didn't know any better. And then he gets on, and here we are where we are this week. We're getting there. But, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your conduct, because it is written, You shall be holy because I am holy. Now, let me just give you a, a little bit of a background thing on, on Peter, because to understand that maybe some of the, even James, when we went through James, it's like, man, these guys spoke pretty tough. I mean, they, they were like, there's not a room for any gray area. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If you can find a gray area in the Bible, you know who made it gray? You did. God doesn't make them gray. They're black and white. It's just a matter of whether we want to see what God wants to say or not. But Peter, as we walk our way through, or work our way through this letter, we need to be careful to remember who Peter was and what happened to him. Because in this letter, some of that is, is brought out, probably in his harshness. Peter was one of the first disciples called by Jesus. He was a fisherman and a sinner when Jesus found him. Fishermen of that time, uh, at that time and probably of this time, were rough guys. 
I always like to refer to the fishermen as the truck drivers of the of that time period because I was a truck driver for 20 years, and I understand that when you when you say that, you get a picture in your head of, of a specific character. Well, Peter was a fisherman. These were rough guys. These were rough guys. They would have been considered the man's man of that time period. Now, they were rough, they were tough, they were fearless, and they were probably pretty vulgar men. They were rough and tough because of the trade and the work that was involved in it. Think about, uh, we have fishing lines. Uh, we have some fishermen that come in and out here on Sundays every once in a while. But fishing the way we do it is not fishing the way they did it. These guys used their muscles. They, 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 they knitted the nuts together. They pulled them in and out. They didn't have cranes and they didn't have pulleys. These were tough men. They were fearless because these guys went out in primitive boats in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and we, I think we looked at it a few few months ago, the storms that would come down, and Sandy and I were at the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee sits way low, and the wind comes off of those those mountains, and it's and it, they come up. It comes up out of nowhere, and these guys would go out in these primitive boats full of fish, and I'm sure at times they were tipped over. So these guys were fearless men. Sometimes I get the picture in my head of the, the guys. How many of you watch Deadliest Catch? There's guys that are out there in the 40, 50 foot swell. I love that show. But, but that, that's rough weather. And when Jesus walked up to him along that shoreline, that day when he met him, and he called him to follow him, did Peter hesitate? No. No, he got up and he went. He did not hesitate. Meaning that he left everything that he knew and had worked for to that point behind. Now, if you didn't know this about Peter, and I don't think he left this behind, but he was married. All right? Uh, I don't know exactly how that works into all of that, but he was married. So he had a life that was outside, that, that had a lot of things invested, and in. he just walked away from them all and followed the Lord. Peter was the disciple who was bold and brash. And many of us would refer to him as, as, a, as the one who would put his foot in his mouth all the time. Saying things that just came to his head. I don't know anybody like that. Right? He was the one that told Jesus that he would go to the death for him. And then when Jesus told him that he would deny him three times, he sort of, that was the response. And we know that Peter did what? He did deny Christ, did he not? One time. He also denied Christ what? Two times. Not just two times, but three times. Three times. And after Jesus had died and was put in that tomb, I'm sure that he, as, long as, as well as the other disciples, did a lot of thinking. And we know that at the end of the Gospel of John, we find Peter, as well as several of the other disciples, doing what? Fishing. They went back to their trade. Now, there's some conjecture as to what exactly, and you could go and think about it in any way you want, and probably is right. But I believe that Peter, after having been that bold, brash guy, having denied Jesus three times, when he got back to it, to, to after Jesus had been risen from the, the I'm not worthy to do that anymore. The guy that put his foot in his mouth says, I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to fishing. Because he felt a failure and maybe, maybe he had just given up. And what does Jesus do just to reinforce the three denials? What does Jesus do? He comes back and he calls Peter to what he's calling to because in this passage we talk about Jesus being the cornerstone Peter, was his name was what? It was Cephas, and it means what? Little stone, and he, and he was going to be one of the foundational uh, people, Not the, and this has nothing to do with the Pope or anything like that, but he was going to be one of those, those prophets that the church would be grounded or founded on. And what does Jesus do? He comes and he tells him to what? Feed my sheep. One time. Or feed my lamb one time. Feed my sheep two times. 
feed my sheep three times. What does Jesus do? He says, listen, I think the three times are significant because of the three denials. And what does Peter do as he gets to this letter? I think that the passion and the power that you read in this is from a guy who failed, was picked up, and really understood what he, had, what he was part of. And with that passion, that's what, this, what he's writing with here. And that's where he says, Therefore, because of all of these things that we talked about, gird up the mind, your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who has called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And then we get to this verse, and it says this, And if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay here on earth. And I want to bring your attention to some of the words that he uses in this verse, because they're very important. If I walk up and down these streets, and I say, do you know who God is? I would bet that most people would say, I believe in God. I call to God. I pray to God. All right? You've heard it, and am I the only one that's heard it? But Peter says here this. If you address as Father the one, addresses to call upon or appeal, and what Peter is saying here is simply this. If you call God your Father, remember that He is the one who's watching you and who you will answer to. And just a side note, not everyone, and Jesus himself says this, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into heaven. Isn't that a verse? It's a verse that haunts you sometimes when you think about it, when you catch yourself not being the way that you're supposed to be. Not for salvation, but because of salvation. And I want you to be very clear to understand this. Just because you go to a church and you sit in church, if you sat in there 24 hours a day, it doesn't make you one of God's children through Jesus Christ any more than if you stood in a garage and make you a car. And that's the power that Peter's talking about here. He's saying if you address God as your father, and let me just throw this out there. I put it on Facebook and I was studying this quote came up. Some of you will have read this already. If you're not interested in giving God glory, and this is separate from what we're talking about, all right? It's involved with it, but it's not really the main part. If you're not interested in giving glory, honor, and thanks to the Lord who sits on the throne while on earth, digest this. What makes you believe that you will be in heaven where, there, where this is all that happens day and night, if you are unwilling to choose worshiping God now. Why do we think we will be in heaven where everything created worships Him when we don't do it here? And it's not just talking about Sunday morning. This is at an hour and a half. If you come for Sunday school, it's from 9.15 until, if I'm short, 12. All right, so you've got, you've got two and three quarter hours. I say that kidding but you've got two and three quarter hours. Now listen, the rest of your week is also worship. Amen. Amen. Everything you do is worship. The way you think is worship. The way you speak is worship. What you look at is worship. How you look at things is worship. Your interaction with other people is worship. What you do when you go to work is worship. What you do when you drive down the road yeah. without your seatbelt on, with the beeper gone, is worship. Now I have to put my seatbelt on now. <laughs> the point is, is this. We equate worship to this two and a half, three hour period that we have on Sunday morning. Worship happens 24-7 if you're truly saved. And I challenge you, as members of this church, as members of the body of Christ, even more importantly, does worship matter? Or is it just something you do on Sunday? 
Because, because Peter says here, if, if you address as the Father the one, And he goes, who impartially judges, and we'll deal with that in a second. Listen, all of you who claim, or not you, but all people who claim to know Christ as Savior, but never have time for his word, I'm going to step on toes, never have time for his work, never have time for his people, never have time for his body, the church, as James Jesus' brother would say, who we just finished studying that letter, he would say, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, what? Deceiving yourselves. That'll punch you in the gut, doesn't it? Think about that. But he says, if you call God as your father, he says, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay here on earth. If you go back to verse 1, uh, and we may have touched this, I don't remember exactly everything we talked about last week, but for some reason the Lord laid this on my heart. But if you go back to verse 1, it says in this verse that we just read, you conduct yourselves during your time or you stay here on earth. If you go back to verse 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, if you got the New American Standard, those who don't belong here, In this verse, he says, if you call God as your father, conduct yourselves in fear during that time that you're here when you really want to be there. And the word fear there is not, and well, it may be a trembling fear, but it's more of a reverence or an awe and a respect for what God has done for us. That would be going back to what we looked at in Isaiah, where, where Isaiah, when the, when the throne room of heaven is opened up, and he sees the greatness of God. Did he question how he was supposed to be? No, he fell to his face. He fell to his face. His response was, woe is me, for I am undone. Listen, we will, and I know we've talked about this several times in James and now. And remember, your life here is not about you. It's about serving the Lord. You are a steward of God's glory. You're here that the people in this world look at you. They're to see the characteristics of God and how you live because of what Jesus did for you. So you're a steward of that. You're a steward of the gospel. If your life is lived in defeat and, and failure because you refuse to take the tools that God has given you to, to uh, uh, be Transformed from the old into the new? You're saying the gospel doesn't have the power to change you to everybody else that's looking at you who you might say Jesus is the way. They say it ain't your way. But we're, we're stewards of that and we will. You will give an account from the moment of salvation, whenever that was. For some of us, that was when we were little. James, how many years have you been saved? 64. 64. Terry, how long have you been saved? Two hours? No, I'm kidding. How many? No, I can pick one, Gary. He's like, I'm huh? 55. 55 years. Tom? Uh, 75. 75 years. Joe? How many? He's like, what? That's one of your deacons. 50 years. 50 years. And you could go around this room. Listen. From the moment that, that every one of these people, you included, the moment you, you recognized you were lost and you called out and asked God to save you from your sin, and he came into your life and he made you new inside, from that moment on, you were entrusted with the glory of God and the gospel. And from that moment on, one day, we looked at those verses last week in, in, in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it talks about the Bema Seat judgment, one day every one of you will stand before God, not for judgment of heaven and hell, but for reward or no reward. And you will give an account of every moment, moment, second, minute, hour, day, week, what you did with the glory of God and the gospel. 
And Peter says what? In fear. In fear. Can't find the verse. See, this is why I need my other Bible. In fear, live your life. 17, I got it. Why you stay here on earth? He says there in that verse again, as you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to what? Read those words with me, the next one. According to what? One's work. Each man's work. Each man's work. Each man's work. Each of us will stand in front of God by ourselves. Face to face with the one who died on the cross for you. Where his piercing eyes who have known you every second, actually every second from Genesis, before Genesis 1-1. And he will say, what you do with my glory? There's not going to be able to turn around and go, well, James messed up on that day, and I, you know, it's his fault. <laughs> or, you know, I, I, I just had to, you know, no. When the fire of God purges, it's with the ultimate purity. He knows all things. There's nowhere we can hide. Now listen, that's what 1 John 1, 9 brings in, where when we mess up, we can make things right. But we will stand, and we will give an account for what we did with our lives. And we are to live in reverence to God who's called us out to be separate, knowing that he sees and knows all. And Peter brings them into the next verse and the reality of what it cost for their salvation. Look at verse 18 and 19. Knowing that if you address the Father... If you address as father, the one who impartially judges uh, each, according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during this time of your stay. And then it says this, knowing, knowing that you were what? Not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. Now listen, silver and gold in our world is probably the most precious things there are, am I right? more precious is, is the blood of Jesus. He says, and silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. And what he's referencing there is that religious action that Paul thought he had it figured out and he didn't. It wasn't about works. When he on the road to Damascus, he understood that it was all about Jesus. It wasn't about being a religious person. But with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Thomas Watson says this, great was the work of creation, but greater the work of redemption. It cost more to redeem us than it did to make us. In one there was but speaking of a word, in the other there was shedding of blood. The creation was but the work of God's fingers, redemption was the work of his arm. The reason we're to live ourselves in a different way isn't really the fear, although that's part of it. It's because of what God did for us. It's because of what God did for us. And knowing how we are redeemed or were redeemed should affect the way we live our lives and our behavior and in our service. Which, When we stand before God as the rewarder or the not rewarder, we will be, will be a day of rejoicing and not of sorrow. And listen, people will tell you there will be no sorrow in heaven. Let me read you these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You can turn there if you want. Verses 10 through chapter 4, verse 2. It says, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. That's the foundation of Jesus Christ. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon that foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man, there's that word, those words again, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality, not the quantity. Make sure you get that word right. The quality, that means if you do 
everything in your life for the Lord and you do this and you got all kinds of things going on, but none of it meant anything, you're going to stand there with nothing. But if you did one thing that was a quality that lasted forever, you'll be rewarded. Get that in there. Get that there. Each man's work, if any man's work which is built upon it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man, if any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him be become foolish that he may become wise for the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God for it is written he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness and again the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless so then let no one boast in men for all things belong to you he goes on whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come all things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God let man let a man regard us in this manner as a, as servants of Christ and stewards there it is of the mysteries of God the mysteries of God is the gospel his glory and the church in this case, moreover, it is required, and put this, if you've got your Bible open, underline this, and re put it on your mirror, put it in your mirror, in, on, in your bathroom, make it the last thing that you read before you go to bed, and the first thing you read before you get up, it says this, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful, trustworthy. Go back to 1 Peter, <clears throat> chapter 20 and 21, or verse 20 and 21, chapter 1. It says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last days, last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And what he's saying in these verses is this. Jesus was not a knee-jerk response to man's fall in Genesis chapter 3. Get, get this. It wasn't like God waited until man fell. And then said, well, wait a minute. I messed up. i got to find a way to fix it. No. Look at that verse again. For he, capital H, was foreknown before what? Foundations of the world. <coughs> God didn't get caught in the lurch not knowing what was going on. Jesus was foreordained to die for your sin before Genesis 1-1. Gavin, he died for, he was foreordained to die for your sins before Genesis 1-1. Think about that. That's a deep thought. That's a deep thought. Jesus was the plan before the plan was needed because God knew. God planned to send his son as the redeemer before Genesis 1, before a word was even spoken. And Peter reminds them of that truth and then reminds them that their faith and their hope are bound in that. Verse 22 and 23. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brothers fervently love one another from the heart for you have been born again not of seed which is perishable but imperishable that is through the living and abiding word of God Peter's saying there simply this since you've been exposed to the truth and the truth being that Jesus died to redeem them and you've applied that sacrifice to the sinful condition of your life you're lost you're under the penalty of your sin you're condemned to pay the penalty of that sin in the place that god created for the or the, the for satan and his angels which is hell but you've applied the blood of his of, the, of his of what he did on the cross to that in faith he 
says in that verse, you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls. Obedience to the truth would be a reference sort of somewhere along the line with Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by what? Hearing, hearing and hearing what? Pastor Steve? Hold on. Hearing what? Pastor Steve? No. Hearing TVN? No. Hearing the loudspeaker out here? No. It's hearing what? Word of Literally, in the translation, it's the story of Jesus. The verses before in Romans 10, 8 through 11 say this. It says, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is. The word of faith, which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Think about that. This life may let you down. This life may tear you up. This life may spit you out. This life may be miserable. But your salvation, it says there, if you truly are saved, you will not be what? Disappointed. In this, greatly rejoice. The words that he said before. Hearing the truth. Actually, if you go to verse 13 of Romans 10, it says, forever will call upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. Hearing the truth, responding to the truth in obedience, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. The result in, in 1 Peter there is you will purify your soul, or God will purify your soul. You can't do that. But faith does that. Purified is a, a perfect participle, participle, participle that describes a past action that has ongoing results. Listen, you are continually being saved. God saved them in the past. God saved you in the past, giving them the power to be purified. And it's an ongoing action. It's a power for the present and for the future to live holy and separate lives. Peter calls them to love one another in those verses. Since they have responded to the truth and obedience which purified their soul. And listen, we are called to love one, one, love one another not because they're beautiful, we're called not to love one another because we are lovable. We are not called to love one another for what the, another person can do for us. We are not called to love one another just be, when we feel like it. We are called to love one another because of what God has done for us. Because he says so and it should be a natural response out of our hearts that are changed. He says in verse 22, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere, literally if you were to underline that word and put a line outside, the word simply means this, it literally means unhypocritical. For your soul, for a sincere, unhypocritical love of the brother, fervently love one another. Listen, when we get saved, we have a new capacity to love. To love just as Christ does. Unhypocritically. James would say without partiality. And it's from the heart. This love is not a worldly love. It is a love that can only come from that changed life. And is in the power of the spirit. Peter in verse 23 could have thought, or could have thought that there would be that question that every child would ask their parents. Why? We all go, why does God say, why, Mom, why? Go wash your hands, why? Don't walk across the street when the cars are coming, why? You know, anybody ever had that question asked? And he says this in the next verse, next part of the verse. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imper imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. Peter then makes this bold, distinct statement about the truth, which is, 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 is in, which is God's word in verse 24 and 25. And listen, this verse sort of sometimes we take and it sort of feels out of place. 
But it's not when you put the whole passage together. Verse 24 and 25. For all flesh is like the grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you, he says. That's the word that they preached him. Not only has the gospel not changed, it will never change. It is forever and ever the same. There's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus Christ. When Adam sinned, there's only one way for Adam to get to heaven. Way back in the book of Genesis. And that was through Jesus Christ. There was only one way for Moses to get to heaven. It was through Jesus Christ. There's only one way for Abraham to get to heaven. And it was through Jesus Christ. Old Testament saints looked forward to Jesus coming. The promise in Genesis 3.15. We look back to the finished work of Jesus Christ. There is only one way. There is no need to worry that God will change the standard. There is no need to worry that he will change his mind and take back his promises. They are eternal. So is the command to be holy because he is holy. And so is the command to love one another. His word abides forever. That means this. Listen. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are part of the body of Christ. If you call First Baptist Church your home, you're part of the local body of Christ that sits and meets here. But you're part of a bigger body all over the world. And that means this. We are to have a fervent love for each other. He goes on in verse 1, and I'm, I'm just about done. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, he points back to verse 23 and 23, 23 through 25, which was what talked about. The Word of God is, in verse 23, it is living and enduring. In verse 23, it is also the seed which is imperishable. In verse 25, again, it abides forever. The living and enduring word is brought alive in our lives personally through the seed which is imperishable, which is planted in our heart at salvation. The word is that seed, but also what did we get upon salvation? We got eternal life. Who came to live inside of us? Holy Spirit. The Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which produced new life in us by first massaging our dead, cold heart so that we can understand the living, enduring word and respond, but also to help us understand and to live holy, separate lives. This seed is permanent, never changing in his work, and he never leaves us. The Word and the Spirit are the source of our ability to spiritually transform us and help us to grow, as Peter will address in the next verse. And the next verse says this, Like newborn babes, long for pure milk of the Word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Let me just close with this. This isn't where we were going to end, but let me just close with this. If that seed has been planted in you, there should be a desire. Just as a newborn baby, when you were saved, or when you were born, a baby comes out of the womb, does it, does it need to be taught how to eat? Yeah. Or no, no, let me, let me rephrase that. Taught how to be hungry. No, they're hungry. Matter of fact, they're ravenously hungry. Alright? You, the moment you got saved, there should have been a hunger planted inside of you through the Holy Spirit <coughs> that has a desire to eat, literally eat that spiritual food, which is the Word of God. And I just want to leave you with this thought. Number one, do you know the Lord is your Savior? Because the, the, the determining factor is the Holy Spirit inside of you. It's not your profession out of your mouth. I can tell you I'm a fireman, but I'm not. Does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? Was there a time in your life when you asked him, 
knew you were lost and you asked him to save you from your sins. And he came in and there was a new desire that wasn't there before. It's not natural to want to read the Word of God. Everybody understand that? That's not a natural thing. That's a spiritual thing. And when you get saved, that, that, that hunger is put there by the Holy Spirit. Was there a time when you got saved? If there wasn't, when we sing this last song, come front so we can talk to you. Nothing gives us greater joy. And the reason we exist as a church is to equip, exhort, encourage the body who's saved, but also to teach how to share the gospel outside these doors. This church exists. One of the reasons is to tell people about Jesus. Amen. And you just heard the gospel. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you come from Please. We'll walk you through Scripture and pray with you. For the rest of you, listen. Evaluate that hunger. I know everybody's hungry right now because the... Everybody thinks the Methodist Church is going to get to the restaurant before we do. You'll be fine. I promise. Listen, if God kept you here, he'll keep your place in line. All right? But the point is, is this. You're hungry now because it's lunchtime, right? Yeah. You're hungry now? No, you're not. You lie. All right. Listen, the point is this. Our spiritual hunger can be affected by things in our lives that we allow into our lives that the Bible calls sin. And it will make us sick. And it will become anemic. And we don't have that hunger we used to have way back then. Yeah. I remember a lot of times when I was a kid, I got to go to camp all the time. And uh, you'd come back, you'd go up that mountain of camp, and boy, you'd come back, you'd be hiring a kite, legally. All right? And, and you're on fire for Jesus. And, and you'd come back, and within... One day it'll be all gung ho. You ready to charge, as they say, hell with a fire or water fire pistol, a water pistol. By day two, that starts to wane away. By day three, it starts to wane even further away. And if we aren't careful, sooner or later, that fire is sort of lost. The fire is still there. We're just there's things in our lives that have sort of dimmed it down. If you're here and there's not that hunger. Bible says there's probably sin in your life. Or I say this, there's probably sin in your life. That's usually the problem with me. First John 1 9 is there. If you confess your sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from a little bit of our unrighteousness. All of our unrighteousness. And that hunger will come back. I don't know what you've heard this morning. I know what I said. But I trust the living, enduring, eternal word of God to do whatever he needs to do in your life. Listen, remember, you're a steward of God's glory. How you understand who God is isn't dependent on what you find on Google. It isn't dependent on what even what you get taught here. It is to a certain extent. But it's dependent on what you find in this book. And I can't walk for you during the week. Only you can. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the truth in Scripture. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would work <coughs> in a mighty way in the hearts of those that are here. Now, Father, we have a lot of visitors here. We also have a lot of our own people here who are here all the time. And Father, we know that um, in every church, there's probably a large percentage of people who aren't really saved, aren't truly saved. They're just living a religious life. Father God, I ask you this morning that if there's one here that doesn't know Jesus as his Savior and isn't reborn and connected to you through his work on the cross, Father, I beg you please to help them to get out of their seat and to come down and talk to one of us so that we can take them through Scripture that they can see their need call out to the one who died for them before Genesis 1-1, before the foundations of the world. For the rest of us, Lord, help us to evaluate where we are truly. 
And if there's things in our lives that have caused us not to be as hungry as we once were, I pray that your spirit would pinpoint those things so that we can deal with them. God, your glory is too precious to take advantage of. And your gospel is too powerful and too precious not to live and share. Father, please just work right now in this moment of commitment. We ask it in Jesus' name. Stand with us if you would. Let's sing together. The Savior is waiting. Realizing that Pastor Steve and others would be glad to pray with you uh, as you respond. Thank you.